Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Justin Mill, and you're listening to Sorry, Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Australian champion Justin Mill about why he only plays bridge with people he's happy to have to his house for dinner, how having fun is the key to improving your game and why you should never play a convention unless you know what you are giving up as well as what you are gaining to play it. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, Jocelyn. How are you? I'm well, Catherine. How are you, partner? <laughs> I am very well. Thank you very much for asking. You know how we heard from our friend and supporter, Chris, about Gazilli. Oh, that's right. He could not believe what he found online to explain Gazilli. And he, I think he was quite taken aback that we would have actually liked this convention. Yeah, he, <laughs> his tone was what? Derisive? Well, about Gazilli, just like, why would anybody bother with this mess of a of a convention? But we sent him a link to... Pete Holland's fantastic video about Gazilli that to me was really, really helpful. And so I'm hoping that that will explain things and lay them out clearly for Chris so that he can not be so taken aback by this convention. Well, as it happens, he followed up having watched the video and guess what? We have a new convert. <laughs> That's fantastic. So that video is really helpful. Yeah. 
I, you know, anytime one of my partners has expressed interest in learning, because I have sent them that video, because I think it's just so clear. And I get that there are probably different learning styles. And some people might want to look at written material. But I find that video with its combination of looking at the cards and his explaining it. And I don't know, it's just super helpful. It's very clear. Yeah, well, Chris copied us in on an email exchange he had with his partner because they play Akol. So he writes, it could help us solve the problem of having a five-card major and 16 to 18 when we're non-vulnerable, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. always a beast. Can mm-hmm. also give us a week two in a major by opening one and then if there's a no trump and gazilli, we can use the I have six spades in a week hand option and that mm-hmm. accomplishes a week two in spades and the same with hearts. So, yes, he's still waiting to hear back if his partner's going to go for it. But I think it's quite clear that Chris is sold on the idea. So that's a win for Gazilli. Well, I hadn't thought of it as dovetailing so beautifully with Akol, as I don't play Akol, but I find it super helpful with a non-forcing one-no-Trump response. That's the key. Can't play it with a forcing one-no-Trump response. Right. Well, we will, we'll post the link in our show notes if anybody wants to watch Pete's incredibly <laughs> helpful video and maybe you'll sell your partners on it too. <laughs> and yes, indeed, we are still hoping, fingers crossed, for a sponsorship from Mr. Gazilli, which we think is is very deserved given all the promotion that we've given to <laughs> his namesake convention. <laughs> Two letters in the mailbag for us this week, Jocelyn. Oh, good. (laughs) Our first letter is from Jane and she writes, my very good friend plays regularly with a fellow at our local bridge club. Last week she was concerned about their communication or lack of. So she went home and reviewed all of the hands from the day, hoping to discuss it with her partner. She sent him a note asking if he wanted to review. His response was to send her a photo of his score sheet. Then later, he sent her a text and said, if you want to get serious about bridge, tomorrow when we meet, I can tell you what you were doing wrong. (laughs) Gosh, I'm sure it was all her fault. (laughs) I asked her what that was supposed to mean and she texted back, he's an arrogant asshole. (laughs) Unfortunately, she sent the text to him instead of me. Whoops. Guess what? He called her and begged for forgiveness and apologized profusely for the way he said what he did. I guess it was a good mistake. Sometimes things work out for the best. Not sure how long the partnership will last, but we got a good laugh. Well, it sounds like their communication problems might have had a breakthrough. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jane. That's a doozy. (laughs) And our next letter about swearing on BBO is from Alan. (laughs) alan writes who knew you could get sent to the principal's office for bad behavior on bbo in a recent online game i made an embarrassing bidding blunder after the set was completed i thought it would be appropriate to send a mere culpa private chat to my partner so i wrote sorry partner for my bidding mistake on board x i am such an idiot the message didn't appear in my chat box Being a normal male, I figured that if something doesn't work the first time, I'll just bang on with it. So I sent the message again. This time, a little bubble appeared that said, 
do not use abusive language. I would never say anything abusive to opponents or my partner, but I had no idea I couldn't call myself an idiot. (laughs) That must be a new feature because I have definitely called myself an idiot on numerous occasions in the chat, (laughs) and I don't recall being admonished. I have been admonished periodically, not so much for calling myself an idiot, but for maybe making certain remarks privately about the <laughs> opponent. And occasionally it will it will censor me and then other times it doesn't. I don't understand when or why it applies. Yeah, you can, maybe we should test out the the bounds of it, Jocelyn. Well, but they're clearly they've they've got a whole system, you know, and an algorithm to sort of design to keep you on your toes. <laughs> All right, we might start exploring that. (laughs) So if you have any fun stories about partnership communication or perhaps communication breakdown or about cursing on BBO and any ensuing penalties or punishments, please send them to us via email or Instagram or voice message. These links are on the website at sorrypartner.com, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Justin Mill. Australian champion Justin Mill learned to play bridge at the age of four. He has gone on to represent Australia at the junior and open level. He has won three silver medals at the World Juniors silver in the Open Asia Cup, and bronze in the European Teams Championships, as well as more than a dozen Australian Open titles. As a junior, he was awarded the World Sportsmanship Award. He is also a passionate bridge teacher. We began by asking if he'd had any interesting hands lately. Yeah, I've had one hand that I've really enjoyed playing a couple of months ago. I was in a Grand Slam Everything seemed like it was going to be fine, and then the hand went absolutely to pieces. It was one of those hands you have and you go, oh my God, what am I going to do now? And I then got to find a very rare squeeze called an under-over trump squeeze, also known as an entry-shifting trump squeeze, which is one of the rarest squeezes that actually comes up. And I've only ever seen one plate before by Gear Helgemo from Norway, and uh what it ends up doing is anytime you know one player is guarding two suits, there is going to be a squeeze almost certainly. Now, what the squeeze I had to play was, was I had to throw away all of my top trumps so that I could then get the player on my left to have to decide, do they want to pitch their clubs or do they want to pitch their hearts? And whichever hand whichever suit they pitch, I can end up in the other hand and set up my suit. That's so cool. And were you quietly very pleased with yourself as it was happening? I was very, very (laughs) pleased with myself. (laughs) Uh, My opponent was actually almost more pleased for me. He's the one, we were playing against Michael Courtney, who most people will know. And he goes, oh yes, I spotted this in at about trick five, and I knew in 1946 it got renamed from the under-over squeeze to being the entry-shifting squeeze, commonly found in page 36 of this book. And I'm just <laughs> sitting there, and I'm just like, oh, my God, what's going on? But the big funny thing that happened for us was on this hand, we were playing in, the, in a quarterfinal match, so it was on Viewgraph, 
and the ViewGAF operator didn't see what was happening and put the contractors one down. Oh. And we're at a very tight point in the match where we were actually down 10 imps at the stage. So if the Grand Slam failed, we then went to being about 30 imps down. So our teammate saw that we went down, so he started booking his flights home. (laughs) (laughs) So then when we came out, he saw that after this board, we won 90 straight imps. <laughs> so he'd, he'd booked his flights home and uh, and he had to cancel them all. So, you know, never write your teammates off just yet. It's an amazing turnaround. Incredible. That's fantastic. What happened at the other, at the other table? So one of the things that made this hand really interesting was the bid that was made by my opponent. So I opened one heart and he bid four clubs. And what Michael Courtney actually had for his four club bid was six clubs and five hearts. So everybody else just made a more a much more normal Michael's Q bid, at which point it showed that they were five and five or six and five. So they actually just got to play a much more of a cross trumping line. Whereas I thought he just had single suited clubs. So this presented a very unusual situation of the squeeze, which eventuated, but there's just a really good trick. Anytime one player has to guard two suits, there is almost always a squeeze there. If you can identify that one player guards two suits, if you can time it right, there will be a squeeze there. So that four club bid, if it had been bid at any other table, basically when you weren't in the auction, it would have been very effective, wouldn't it? Because it would have completely thrown the declarer's appraisal of what was going on. Absolutely. The four club bid was a really, really good bid. And what Michael had decided was his partner was a passed hand. He had eight high card points. So he knows having a void in spades and only eight high card points that it is our contract. We have some very large number of spades. So he decided to A, jump to four clubs, which if the next player doesn't have a fit for for my spades that I've opened they won't have hearts for the takeout double. So they're actually in a really awkward spot. When you preempt in that situation, it can have some really good results. And people don't often think about preempting with unusual shapes when your partner's a past hand. And it comes back down to what are you hoping to achieve? If you know what you're hoping to achieve in bridge, it becomes a much simpler game. Oh, yeah, that's the, that's small issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that that tiny issue that we forget from time to time. (laughs) What am I doing here? (laughs) Yes, why did I do that? Oh. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And often it's I felt like it, and that's when you get the bad results. (laughs) Oh, that explains a few things. (laughs) (laughs) You grew up in a bridge-playing family. Can you remember a time before bridge? Uh, I started learning bridge when I was four. So not really. I have one memory was my grandparents used to hold a 500 night. And from the age of about two onwards, my brother and I would go to their house and we'd sit on their laps as they were playing 500. And as it started going, they'd be letting us pick what cards to play. So I started that from about the age of two or three. Now, obviously, at two or three, you're just pointing at cards randomly but uh, my grandmother would try and coach us into which one to play. And when, we're, when we could beat 
adults at 500, my parents said that they'll start teaching as bridge. So that was four. At four. And did you take to it straight away? I loved it. What my parents didn't want me to learn at that stage, and they didn't want my brother to learn either. He was two years older than me. But they said, when you come home from kindergarten and school, you have to go immediately to bed. You have to read for an hour, wake up, and then you can do the beginner's class at night because it was a nighttime session. And we joined in one of the classes, at which point my parents thought this would be an excellent way to deter kids. Go home, read for an hour, go to sleep, and then wake back up. But my brother and I did it. And I've just been absolutely in love with the game ever since. Do you think that your love of the game is tied to your facility with it? Like if you weren't as good at it, would you love it so much? Um, I I think no matter how good you are at Bridget, it's just one of the most fascinating and fun games. I get most of my enjoyment out of seeing people improve, being around other people, having a laugh, enjoying myself going to dinners afterwards. I think the winning is just a bonus. Now, saying that, I'm a pretty grumpy loser. So (laughs) (laughs) as uh, most most bridge players are, you know, but I I just really, really love that. We got to have a tournament a couple of weeks ago where I got to play with my two best friends and my father. You know, that to me is why I want to play bridge. The winning is uh, just a bonus. That's answering my next question before I asked it. For the most part, I enjoy playing bridge and I love to hang with my friends and I love to learn. But then every now and then when I spend too long thinking about the fact that I'm probably not going to radically improve beyond where I currently am, I lose a little faith. And I think, what's the point if I'm never going to be really good at this? Over to you. (laughs) It's, It's one of the best things about bridge. It doesn't matter how good you are. The most important thing for me is I never want to play bridge again with a person I'm not happy to have out to dinner. If you are happy to go to dinner with your partner, that is automatically a good start. And (laughs) if you're not, then sure, maybe bridge isn't isn't the right thing for you if you're just going down that path. And you see it with a lot of top players. They, They don't actually like their partner that much and they find it hard to get better. Now, for me, I think... If you can play, you can have a laugh, you can enjoy yourself. It doesn't matter how good you are. You've just got to make sure that you're enjoying it is the main thing. And it's one of the reasons I love teaching so much is just getting to see so many different people enjoy themselves. And look, not everybody is going to be a a world champion, but the main thing is that at the end of the day, it is a game that will endlessly entertain you. It will keep you on your toes it will keep your mind sharp and it will keep you alive it is just one of those things you wake up and you think oh i should have done that and then you think oh i knew i could have got that one or this was the bit i should have made and yeah any any time you've got that amount of enjoyment out of something who cares how good you are (laughs) okay i'll take that i'll take that on board (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like you've been pretty lucky with your partners. I have been very, very lucky with my partners. I've got to play with some absolutely amazing players from all around the world. And that's really what Junior Bridge was so great for me when growing up, was I got to make connections all around the world. I got to play with amazing people. I had a long-term partnership with Peter Hollins, who's been on your show 
not so long ago and we had a good time and then I've had a, a few other partnerships since just really, really lucky. Yeah, and lots of great dinners then also. <laughs> lots and lots of great food. <laughs> that is one of the things that makes me happy is cooking. <laughs> Thinking about your partners, what would they say maybe is one of your greatest strengths in the game? Um, one of my greatest strengths might just be my ability to put so much pressure on the opponents to make the right decisions. As a declarer in particular, it's basically storytelling. You're trying to convince the opponents of one thing. They're trying to convince their partner of another and who wins out. And one of the things that I am excellent at doing while declaring is fabricating a web of lies that the <laughs> opponents can fall into. So that would probably be one of my, my greatest strengths. Uh, certainly my greatest weakness is uh, sometimes I do get a little bit grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> and what happens then? Ah, uh, nothing. It was This was a big joke that Peter Hollins used to have with me is that we would be playing and if he didn't understand what I was telling him he did wrong, he would just keep telling me, you're wrong. And then I'd try and explain it to him, go, nope, you're still wrong. I see what you're saying, but you're wrong. And then I'd just get more and more <laughs> grumpy with him because he's not understanding what I'm saying. And, I'm like, and it gets to the point where you go, okay, so if you play the four and then this guy plays the five, you can beat the five with a six, right? <laughs> Sounds like he had your number. <laughs> he did. He, he knew how to uh, push my buttons. <laughs> I'm going to try that with my husband. Yeah, just, just keep telling them they're wrong until they cave. <laughs> how do you overcome the grumpiness or, or do you bother? I used to be a lot more grumpy than I am now. And I think it's also just a part of being comfortable with what your partner is thinking, accepting that everybody is going to make mistakes and just saying to yourself, if I was in their seat, what would have I done? And maybe you would have done something different. Maybe you wouldn't, but the teaching has actually made me being a lot happier with people making mistakes because you sit around and everybody makes mistakes and you sit there and you go, hmm, probably wouldn't have done that. I might not have thrown my king under their ace when they let it, but, <laughs> you know, could work. <laughs> but is it partly the acquisition of that bridge empathy because you're in situation after situation now in a teaching role where you have to put yourself in the mindset of the student to understand what they were trying to do and why it did or didn't work. And so you're effectively reminding yourself over and over again that there was a way to think about it that led to that result, maybe not the best way, what have you. Absolutely. I think that any top player, if they spent a lot more time teaching, would just A, be able to find a lot more ways to put pressure on their opponents because you see different ways of thinking that you never would have thought of. And just by the teaching side, you get to see what other people are thinking. You go, okay, understand what you're thinking. Now, how can I get you to think something else? And that's the big thing I really like about teaching. You can have one topic and you might need to say it 17 different ways before it appeals to the person you're talking to. For example, you have a big group. Somebody might want to approach the game mathematically or somebody might want to approach it logically or philosophically. Anything, you've got to find what works. And everybody thinks differently. So you can't really be grumpy at the end of the day if somebody does think different to what you, you're doing. But nevertheless, you must get frustrated sometimes, no? 
Oh, no, I don't. I don't really find that teaching is frustrating at all. I haven't found any situations where you go, oh, my God, this person is so silly or anything like that. Because basically, you're trying to play the hardest game in the world. It has almost infinite possibilities when you actually do the sum. And at the end of the day, it's my job to get them to come around to the better way of thinking. So any mistake that a student makes is my fault. And you approach it that way. The only person getting grumpy with is yourself. (laughs) And sometimes I imagine a silly-ish thing that a student might do might provoke a very interesting conversation that otherwise wouldn't have happened. Absolutely. The amount of times where you see something and you go, I never would have thought of that. That card would never have occurred to me. But now that you have played that card, let's see what the implications are and where it's going from here. And it's one of the reasons why I've actually become quite a good declarer player is that I get to see all these things and I see countless situations and I go, oh, if I do this, this is how this player might react. And if I do that, this is how this player might react. So I approach bridge very much like poker. You're not playing with the cards, you're playing your opponents. And if you uh, can go down that line, bridge has another layer that is really the one that I love when I'm playing is, I know this is not right, but I think it will work. And again, Gear Helgamo was one of the people who taught me this when I was at one of my first international tournaments at 18. And I was playing in a world invitational event and I played this hand and we went around and we talked to all these people about was it right, was it wrong? And the first seven people we talked to go, no, you're wrong. Your line was 68% likely to work. This line was 73% likely to work. So you did it wrong. And then Gerhard <laughs> walks over and he goes, nope, you're all wrong. When he did what he did, yes, it is only 68%, but you're not playing against computers. The other players are never going to get this right. So it's more like 100%. So stop telling him to do wrong things just because the maths say. Think about what your opponents are going to do as well. And that's that comment just set me up for my, my love of declarer play. And people go, oh, you did this wrong. And I'm like, yeah, but it worked. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you remember when you went from being you know, a very good player to that next level where you suddenly could really see the weeds of what was going on, that you were able to start making those decisions? Uh, I can't really remember any time, but throughout the years, I've been so lucky with the mentors that I've had, the people that we've had coaching. Being part of the Australian team has really afforded a lot of access to top international coaches and being born into a bridge family uh, meant that I had a walking, talking book um, around the house. So basically, it's just always been the way that I've been trained to think. And with everything, if you approach it in the right way, if things go wrong, you're well equipped to counter them. People don't do the basics well enough. They lay their hands and they go through and they go, oh, and they realize too late that they hadn't set up for reducing their trumps or they hadn't set up for trumps not dividing. If you just constantly do the right method, bridge and particularly declare a play becomes a lot easier to cater for those terrible breaks, those terrible situations that occur. So to answer your question, no, I can't really remember. Um, There is one story my mother told me the other day, and it was from when I was about six or seven, and I was playing in a congress, and I was playing with my brother, and I was playing a hand. And halfway through the hand, I stood up on my chair and I yelled out for my mother to come over and watch. And I said, hey, mum, watch this. They're going to have to throw away all their aces and kings. And I'd, I'd actually played a squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just if you, if you get taught in the right way and things, it is so likely that you can actually get yourself into the good positions. Are there any types of things that you find yourself doing wrong maybe more often than you would like (laughs) absolutely you can't play bridge without doing things that you shouldn't be doing because you overcomplicate it in your head so much of the time and when you're overcomplicating things you look for things that aren't there and you end up going down in the most basic of contracts what? And there is a f- it's never happened. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure nobody can relate to that. No. And it and it comes from when you are trying to look for ghosts, you will find them and quite often they're not there. And when you're trying to put yourself into a position where you're creating bad habits, and bad habits are one of the things that are hardest to get rid of. And one of the bad habits that people quite often have is trumping in their own hand too much and when you actually break it down if you trump in your own hand very often that was just a guaranteed winner anyway so it's not as if you've created a trick you could have drawn trumps and every one of your trumps in your hand was a winner anyway so one of the bad habits I find I used to make a lot was over trumping in my own hand and sometimes it's good where you might want to reduce the number of trumps you have for a, you know, an elopement or 
an en passant where you're trying to get the opponents to have to trump in front of you. But most of the time, what you're going to end up doing is throwing away all your trumps and going down in a contract <laughs> that was basically impossible to fail in. Mm. The best thing that you can do in bridge is get yourself into good habits, stick with them, and not worry about too many other things until they actually happen. And it's by being in those good habits, if trumps don't divide or another suit divides five and zero, you're in the right position to deal with it at the time. If you're playing with bad habits, trumps don't divide, oops, I trumped too many times. Or trumps don't divide, ah, I really needed to be over there later to do some finesse. Just make sure you're always asking yourself, what's the plan? And if the plan's easy, then you might start to think of the bad things that could happen. But if a contract is absolutely doomed, I am all sunshine, lollipops and rainbows. Every finesse is going to work because I need it. <laughs> and if it doesn't, it won't be the last time I go seven down. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is the biggest sunmuzzle you've ever made at the table? had a, a hand from a final in Japan quite a number of years ago where we were playing at the top team from the Netherlands and we were doing really well and it comes to the final board of the first segment and my partner and I have a bidding misunderstanding of I opened with a suit and rebid at the four level. Was this a splinter or was it a 5-4 or was it 6-5? And we both had different opinions on what it was. Now, the next player doubled. My partner thought he'd try and give me the option of sort of maybe letting him know what I had by passing. And I thought that his pass was, hey, let's play here doubled. So I passed as well. And that was 2000. We lost on that, that one hand. When we were cold for several other games. It was a uh, splinter. No, no. I, I was 7-4. And we ended up playing in my 4-2 fit rather than Ooh. my 10-card club fit that we had on the side. And the end result was uh, it was all on on live. And one of the commentators says, if there's any way he's going to bounce back from that, it's Justin and Peter. They're used to going for big numbers like that. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> when was the last time I went for a big number? <laughs> I thought that was a really harsh comment. Bill Markey. <laughs> Half of it's harsh, and the other half is if anyone can bounce back. And that's yeah. super positive. Yeah. Uh, you, you can look at it that way, you know, glass half empty, half full. I'm just, you know, listening to that. Yeah, they're used to going for big numbers. <laughs> no, it was, it was actually good, and we ended up only losing by a very small amount. So maybe not losing 2,000 points in one hand would have worked out for us. <laughs> But at the end of the day, you have a good laugh and move on. And a good story. Exactly, exactly. Life's nothing without good stories. What's the most fun you've ever had at a bridge tournament? One of the best tournaments I've ever been to was in Moscow, and it was a goulash tournament held, and it was sort of an invite tournament that we got invited to when we played a team in one of the finals. They go, oh, come to this goulash tournament I'm running. I'm like, all right, let's do that. So we flew into Moscow. We just partied for an entire week where it was all you could eat, all you could drink. The staff would bring in and put a bottle of vodka and a bottle of cognac next to your bed 
for each day. Gosh. The bottle of cognac was for the morning. The bottle of vodka was for the afternoon. <laughs> and and you were expected to play bridge. And it was a goulash tournament. Yeah, so what is that? Every hand was super distributional. So it might be that you have a 10-card suit, but you're the most balanced hand at the table <laughs> because the next player had an 11 and the other two had 12-card suits. Or if you have a suit where you've got ace, king, queen, and four little cards. So normally you'd say, oh, yeah, that's seven winners. In goulash, you'd probably say that's three losers because you're going to have seven and the next player is likely to have six of them. So everything divides terribly. And you have to devise a system to play, which is nothing like normal bridge. So our two-level openings were, I have two voids. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. This is one of my voids. I have a second void somewhere because every time you play a hand, if you've got a fit, it is right to be declarer. And if you don't have a fit, the limit of the hand is probably about one club. How many people were invited to play at the Goulash tournament in Russia? There was about 20 tables of people that came and played from mostly Europe. Uh, We had one team, which is our, our team from Australia. And there was a few Americans that came over, but it was almost all Europeans and all of the top players in the world from Europe all came over and just laughed for several days playing this amazing quality event. You know, when when you've got to think on your feet, oh, this suit's going to divide eight and zero. Hmm, how can I do this? So one of the hands that I got to play was I had ace, king, queen, jack to 10 hearts. And I had to make sure that I intentionally lost a heart trick to get the other player on lead so that they'd let me into dummy because I had two voids and my partner had two voids and my partner has ace, king, ace in the other suits. And I've got three little cards sitting here and I know the person on my left doesn't have any of my void. So I got to play the ace of hearts, the king of hearts, and then I got to play the two of hearts to their three at which point they were on lead and they had to put me into dummy to get rid of my three losers. Oh, joy. So I made my slam, despite the fact having three unescapable losers, by losing a trump trick. That's incredible. Where was that tournament held? Uh, It's held just out of Moscow in a yacht club and there's enough room for every player to stay there and, yeah, it's quite a, a beautiful, beautiful place to be around and... Yes, there was no expense uh, spared, really, on the running of that tournament. So it was like a high-end bridge camp for champions. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you had to you had to know the uh, the person who was running the event, and thankfully we played him in the finals of uh, the tournament in Japan, that the hand where I went for 2,000 was against him. <laughs> no wonder he liked you so much. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> we gave him 2,000 points, the title, and then we got to go to Russia for it. I think a fair trade, really. <laughs> In fact, you, you did it on purpose. Oh, that's, that's what I'm going to tell myself later. <laughs> what is your favorite tournament to play? Probably my favorite tournament to play would be the Gold Coast Congress. I just absolutely love the Gold Coast. You're basically there. You're on the beach. It's really world-class tournament. The Pairs is a wonderful event. It's our sort of our best Pairs event we have in Australia, and I really love that. Matchpoint Pairs is a beautiful game. So for me, the Gold Coast tournament 
A, it just runs so well, and B, the location, and C, just we get good international participation. And it's just one of the events where you say to yourself, even if the bridge doesn't go well, I'm going to have a really good time. What is something that people might be surprised to learn about you? Um, One of the things that people are often surprised about is just how much I enjoy cooking. I am a feeder. If you ever come near me, I'm like, ah, here's more food, more food, more food. Last night was a perfect example. I was just making a quiet salad for two for my wife and then two other people turned up and we still have way too much food. You know, just everything I do is about cooking. My biggest passion apart from bridge is food. I absolutely adore it. And it doesn't really matter what cuisine. I try and pick a different cuisine each year to focus on and go from there. From Indian was what I first started with. My father's a very good Indian cook, uh, then Italian. I've been doing a lot of Thai recently, now doing Middle Eastern as well. So is Middle Eastern 2023? Uh, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so lots of, uh, lots of spice and lots of uh, chili and lots of things like that. So yeah, I just really enjoy my cooking. And for me, if I can sit down, have a glass of wine, cook, think about bridge, that's the perfect weekend to me. Combine that with my wife and the dogs and I'm a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like to read bridge books or cookbooks more? So I've read the Encyclopedia of Card Play by Guy Lev. That's the only bridge book I have ever read. And basically having your father a walking, talking bridge book who has read every bridge book uh, be around the house, I kind of didn't really feel like I needed to because <laughs> every every time he would find an interesting hand, he'd come and quizzes with it. So basically I've probably only read one bridge book despite having been preached to about 100 bridge books. Cookbooks are definitely my go-to. I think I have about 40 cookbooks that I constantly go through. And depending on what cuisine would be which one I go to, current favorite is the Ottolinghi books at the moment, as I'm doing Middle Eastern. I was wondering, do you have a favorite convention that you really like to play? My favorite convention is Splinters. If you can tell your partner where your singleton or void is, you have to be in a good position to work out where to go. If you don't know where your partner's shortage is, you must be guessing in some capacity. So for me, if you just played every bid after a fit to show a fit as a shortage bid and then worried about cue bids and everything else later, you'd find that your auctions would be so much nicer and That's basically what I do with most of my partners. Show your shortage, then work out where to go. If you don't know where your shortage is, you are in trouble in most cases. Or certainly I can't think about the hand in a way where I don't know where their shortage is. What about conventions that you really don't like to play? Well, Gerber, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just... With Gerber, it's not that it's a bad convention. It's just never used in the right manner. I don't hate Gerber as a convention. I just hate everybody who uses it in the complete wrong situation. And it's people almost have Gerber there to justify making the wrong bid. I had to know how many aces you have. I couldn't possibly bid game without knowing how many aces you have. I go, you bid four clubs, partner had to bid game. So what are you doing? 
if you are looking at conventions that I hate, it's anyone that is misused. If you can't tell me what you're trying to gain from playing a convention, you shouldn't be allowed to play it. What's the best bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given? One of the best tips I've ever been given is to purely enjoy yourself. If you enjoy yourself and you enjoy the people you're spending time with, you go, you talk to the right people, you will do so much better in bridge than you can possibly imagine. But if you're surrounding yourself by people who are not who you want to be around, you will find yourself doing terribly. And basically for me, if I surround myself with my friends, my family, all the people I'm going to have a laugh with, all the people that I'm going to enjoy, and my bridge is much better for it. Whereas if I'm sitting there and I'm playing and I'm sitting down there and I'm like, we're going to focus, we're going to do this, we're going to go to bed at 6 p.m., we're not going to drink, we're going to make sure that we are tip-top, you sit there and you're so focused on the bridge that you actually forget to have fun. And for me, when I'm having fun, my game is so much better. If I'm sitting there and I'm not enjoying myself, wow, you should see how poorly I can play bridge. It is one of the funniest things that you will ever see. You go, (laughs) how can a good player make that mistake? And I go, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know what I was doing. Get me a beer. I need to solve this. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really great talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been great. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure and I really love the show. Thanks to everybody who listened and good luck with everything. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Justin Mill. Thank you also to our Sorry Partner posse of listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Jade Gray and David Turner. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or send us a voice message. And please consider joining the Sorry Partner Posse that helps keep us on the air, so to speak. You'll get ad-free episodes, a monthly newsletter, bonus audio from time to time, and other supporter perks. These links and a link to our discount offers and merch store are in the episode description in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next time, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Justin says, make sure to enjoy yourself and the people that you're spending time with. And that's why I love playing bridge with you, Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) Right back at you, partner. Thank you, Jocelyn. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.